time for healing prayer here in this building. Um, and I would encourage you, whether you feel like, you know, we're not just talking about you have an owie on your elbow that you want prayer for um, or something catastrophic. Sometimes if you just know you have a space for prayer, come here once a month when we have our healing prayer service. We are meant to be a people of prayer that uh, changes us, informs us um, in ways that we can really predict. Um, this morning we are in our series on the book of Revelation. Um, we're going to cover all of 6 and 7 and the very beginning of chapter 8. We're not going to read all of that. I'm going to read chapter 6, 1 through 8, and then I'll jump to the middle of chapter 7 and refer to things that we've skipped. Um, you're welcome to go back and read those things, of course. This is Revelation 6, 1 through 8, and then we'll go to 7, uh, 9. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so the people should slay one another. He was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. I'm going to jump to verse 9 of chapter 7. After this I looked and behold a great multitude with, with, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they came? Where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rise before God from the hand of the angel. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there was peals of thunders, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. We pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask for your assistance. We ask for the power of your Holy Spirit in understanding your word. God, we pray that our eyes would be open to see the Lamb in our midst, and that the same praises that are described before your throne would come out of our own mouth. We pray, Father, that our hearts would be soft before you, and that the sword that, that runs out from your mouth would pierce us and open us up to the life that only comes from you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray that we might love you more. Amen. Um, I had Jeremiah get a picture, uh, a painting, um, Death, I think it's called Death on a Pale Horse uh, by Benjamin West. I don't know how well you can see that. You can probably get the vibe from it at least. Um, this is kind of uh, the, the imagery with these four horses that come and appear. It's famous imagery in uh, the book of Revelation. This is just one of, I just Googled for the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And uh, this is just one version of this. There's kind of just general chaos and death going on, things with swords and screaming. And there's some demons in there, which is nice, um, hovering over the, the screaming lady. Um, there's, uh, in the background, you can't really see because it's too dark. There's more like coming for, for you. Hello. I think he's, he's trying to help them see. Okay. Um, and there's the white horse with the bow over here on my right. See the per that one in the corner? This is just kind of the general vibe that people have with Revelation, right? You think of Revelation as like flames and smoke and weird animals and terror, some screaming and general slaughter. Um, and this is where... Now we're getting into the real stuff, right? People are like, when are you going to get to the horses? When are you going to get to the trumpets and the, the seals and the scrolls and all that? Well, here we go. We're, we've made it. Um, this, so far, what's happened is this vision has shifted from the opening vision where Jesus is addressing these seven churches now we've seen the throne and we've seen the lamb come take his place and he's the one who's worthy to open this scroll of judgment. And now the lamb is going to break the seals. 
that are on the scroll. The book is not being opened. The book, the scroll, is not being opened here in chapter 6 and 7. We're just breaking the seals. We're just sort of running our fingers underneath the flap of the envelope. That's all that's happening here. And with each one of these seals that's being broken over the scrolls, these things happen that accompany it. Uh, It's important to kind of remember our framework of what's going on with this book and how we're approaching it. Um, Remember that this is a revelation. That's why it has the title. It's revelation. Um, You and I are meant to read this book. The people who originally heard it are meant to hear this book, read this book, and to understand that they are being told what's going on behind the scenes. What was going on was hidden and veiled and unclear, and they're looking out on the world, and they're not sure what's going on, but here comes this revelation, and it's a peek behind the curtain to understand what is really going on. And that's difficult for us because we can look out on the world and understand what's in front of our eyes much easier than we can understand maybe this language that it feels really strange and confusing. But it is meant to lay over top of our own vision the vision that comes from heaven, the vision that comes from seeing what God sees. That is what apocalypse is. It is a sudden revealing of what is going on from heaven's perspective. Listeners in the year 2020 and say, John was basically talking to us. Because that's not what it says in the beginning. It says, Give this to the church, because these are things that are about to happen. And I think those words were true, that he meant these are things that are about to happen. And so our perspective on these events are different than the people who heard them, because the things that were about to happen happened to them, and Revelation helped them understand what was about to happen for them and for us. Now it's changing the way that we are oriented to the world how we look both forward and backwards. So, we're not getting into all of the seals. We heard the first four. These horsemen go out on these various colors of horse. Uh, The first one is a a white rider and a red and a black. My translation says... Uh, You know when somebody feels sick to the face in their stomach and we say their face turned green? That, that's that green. That's the horse that's riding out and doing all this damage. All this is a bunch of stuff that's going to happen in the whole world and it's going to be terrible. And God sent it to happen. And other people, there's this other stream of interpretation since the early church that looks at this and says, actually, these are not necessarily physical things that we'll see in the world. This is actually the effects of the Holy Spirit working through the church in the world. Because when the church is alive and kicking, what happens? Division comes to to families. Jesus told us that would happen. Kingdoms would get overturned. And in some sense, the Word of God comes and really does kill the people that it speaks to, but then, of course, raises them to new life. Either way, there is a word of judgment that begins to be opened up For the hearers of this, in this first century setting, that God has cracked open the seals of this book and poured out on the world is this kind of, from 
from what their perspective may have seemed like uncontrollable chaos. They are collected in some sense before and under the throne and they worship this martyred lamb, the first in the original martyr, the martyr of martyrs who is Jesus, the lamb of God. And they are there collected before the throne of God crying out for justice that the lamb would pay attention to his people and he would act and he would move on their behalf. And what the book of Revelation says to these people in that time, in Revelation 6 and 7, is not yet. There is delay. What's, what's lovely to see, and just before uh, the passage that we read in, in chapter 7, there is this, uh, there's a harvest from the people of Israel. And all kinds of, again, weird stuff gets taken out of that. And you can talk to Jehovah's Witnesses and bizarre cults will tell you all kinds of things, what those numbers mean. But the people of Israel are represented there. 12,000, a completion, a harvest from each tribe. And they're brought into the kingdom of Jesus. So that when we start reading in 7-9, It says that there's a a great multitude of people who are gathered before the throne from every tribe and every tongue. The people who saw Jesus and rejected and the people who never heard of him but have come to praise him, all mixed together in this vast multitude arranged before the throne of God. And of course, what we're given in chapter 7 is this foretaste of the end. And this will happen repeatedly in the book of Revelation where you will have this, uh, what Peter Lighthart calls this kind of musical foretaste of the ultimate crescendo. It's this little repeated strand of music that you get to hear multiple times and it's getting turned up as we go through the book so that by the time you get to the end of the book, you have been prepared to launch into this song with the whole of the book of Revelation And we're hearing this music get turned up a little bit. That all of the people from every tribe and tongue are gathered in front of the throne. And they are looking at Jesus. They are looking at the Lamb. And they're responding to Him and acclaiming His worthiness. Salvation comes from Him. Salvation belongs to Him. And He has... He will, he has accomplished everything that he has set his heart, that he has set his mind to, that in fact the blood of the martyrs has not been overlooked, will not be overlooked, but instead will rise as a kind of purification offering before God, before the the lamb descends on his own final white horse at the end of the book. At the end, on this last seal that's cracked open, there is a a half hour of silence. Stillness and silence before God is a statement of confidence that God will speak. And everyone who is gathered before the throne at the end of this sixth seal, this loud multitude, are silent, waiting for the Lamb to utter His voice and to do what they are begging him to do. This book, this whole book, is for a martyr people. 
These people who are, who are reading this, they are about to experience this. The cataclysm of all the kingdoms of this world, it will seem. Falling down. The imagery is the stars falling out of the skies and the mountains throwing themselves down. And all those who hide themselves in caves will be crushed. It seems like, just as the author of Hebrews says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. This is, in many senses, the identity of the Christian church for a long time. For decades and decades, the Christian people understood themselves to be a martyr people. It would not be unexpected if some various portions of the church are at various times themselves following in these martyr footsteps of Jesus. So for a long time, the church hears these words as a way to look out on what faces them when the great opposition of the Roman Empire or the boundaries of empire in, in, in pagan cultures or, or oppressive governments in other places as, as history speeds along, Christians will take up this text and hear this same unveiling that Jesus is the Lamb who himself was martyred and whose eyes see everything and in whom is all power and he is still at the helm of history. He is still standing and watching. The prayers of the saints are still billowing out from the censer. The martyrs are still being watched over. And God is counting the drops of their blood, marking time through their own sacrifice of their life. You have to read the book of Revelation in its entirety, entirety. You have to read these chapters with the ears of a martyr, which is profoundly difficult as Americans. Now, our, our American Christianity has set in a position of, of cultural power for hundreds of years. And that power is largely gone in many ways. All but, all but politically, that, that cultural power is gone. And for many of us who grew up in an environment where the Christians have sat in positions of cultural power to not have the power, to not have the, the, the reins of culture to dictate what culture will be like, that feels like persecution. That feels like martyrdom. My friends, that is not persecution. That is not martyrdom. That is a, a slow descent that somewhat approaches the mean of human history. It is nowhere near what persecution and martyrdom looks like. But if you have been around evangelical Christians long enough, I grew up in the tribe, which I'm very grateful for, you can feel the tremors of fear. For some, it is outright panic that we will not be in power culturally any longer. And so it is really important to lend our ear to the book of Revelation to hear very clearly what it's saying. Because even though we are nowhere near the realm of martyrdom and persecution, 
that many of our brothers and sisters really and truly live in today, right now, this morning, we still can be reassured by the words to which the martyrs have clung. God is the one who is in control. And he worthily sits on the throne and has his hands on the helm of history and will dictate its outcome. So when we, its people, his people, hear that word in Revelation 6 and 7, it should for us unveil the truth of the situation of our context and our place so that when we feel the, the, the reins of power being pulled out of Christian hands in America, we don't have to freak out. We don't have to panic. We don't have to say, this is the end of the world. We're all going to die. Because Revelation has prepped us and prepared us. Jesus is the martyr of martyrs. He is the seven-eyed and seven-horned lamb. He was slain, but is no longer slain. He is the king over every king. And he is firmly in control. And that is as true for us as it is for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria who have people ride in and murder them by the dozens if they reject the name of Jesus, if they do not reject the name of Jesus. It is as true for us in this place, in this time, in this context, as it is for our brothers and sisters in China who resist the stranglehold of the government put upon their mouths. It is as true for us now as it ever has been from the martyrs who spilled their blood to the Rome, in the Roman Empire to the boundaries of collision between empire and pagan barbarian lands in northern Europe to the places where people have given their lives in Africa and South America, all over the world. We are called to confidence in the Lamb of God. We are not called to comfort in the name of Jesus. We are called to comfort only in his name and not on the terms that we might like as we might dictate to the world. We are called to confidence, not on our ability to dictate to anybody else what the what the structures and machinations of power might look like in human governments. We are called to confidence because the government of God has never been in question. We are not called to confidence because the person who's at the front with the microphone in positions of power might say some of the things that we would, that people would say. We are not called to confidence because somebody might come and take the microphone from them and start to say different things that we wish somebody else would say. We are called to confidence because the voice that speaks in the book of Revelation is the voice of the Lamb of God whose voice rolls like the sound of many waterfalls 
and whose voice dictates the outcomes of history on his terms, on his place, on his time. What's beautiful as we read in the book of Revelation chapter 7 is that his government is being rolled out and it's everywhere in every place, people from every tribe and tongue, and it is the martyrs, it is the people of Israel who have turned to Jesus. They are the ones who are bleeding out this cost, this kind of purification sacrifice. They are the ones who are actually given everything for the name of Jesus and they are not seeing a vision of the revealed Lamb of God and saying, what a terrible deal this was. What a horrible mistake I've made. I've wasted my life. What a dumb thing for me to have done. They're seeing the revealed, enthroned Jesus, and what they're saying is, He's worthy. He was totally worth it. This was a great decision. I'm not seeing anything here that has made my past life, my death, my sacrifice, my torture, my suffering, I'm not seeing anything here that is making me say, I should have really reconsidered my decisions. They're looking at the revealed, enthroned Lamb of God, and He's saying, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is this one. Because this one is the one that we hope for, and far better. Their song, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The promise in Revelation chapter 7 for the multitudes that will come to Jesus is not that in this life you will not weep. It is not that in this life you will not thirst. It is that the Lamb of God is the great shepherd. And He will lead you to a place where one day your weeping will cease. And He will lead you to one day where your place, a place where you will be comforted and your thirst will be no more. And He invites you to see His own worthiness and to trust Him. This book is is a peek behind the curtains for a people who are about to have all the kingdoms of this world flipped upside down, shaken up like this, for there to be famine and warfare and plague and death and dying and destruction and smoke and fire, and for them to see the curtain pulled back and to see the lamb on the throne and to say, I will not leave his side. And by his side, I am secure. People of God, you are not allowed. I am not allowed to live in this place, in this time. And because of the the freedoms that I have, because of a constitution or, or the money in my bank account, I am not allowed the confusion, the idolatry of dual loyalty. 
I am not allowed to have allegiance to anyone except King Jesus. And anything that can be shaken up and taken away from you and robbed by a financial downturn or a change of government or any army rolling in and anything that that can be taken away from you like that, you are not allowed to have your confidence and your security and your allegiance anchored there. The Lamb does not, will not share His throne with anyone. The vision is not of a shared reign anywhere in the book of Revelation. And so when we read Revelation 6 and 7, when it reads us, we as people who live in a place of largely comfort and privilege should hear the clarifying call of the vision of the martyrs. It is Jesus on the throne and no one else. Today, what do you put your trust in that is not the Lamb? Is is it your ability to provide for yourself? Is it the relationships that you have? Is it the dreams that you have that you're pursuing? Is it the trips that you can take? Is it the pictures on your walls, the stuff that you have? You cannot have it as your king. The Lamb wants to be your king. Is it the control that you exercise, the security that you seek? The lamb will be your king. Or you can have an idol. And what you're offered is a view from the end. And a view from the end looks back and said, the only king that is worthy is Jesus. The only king that is a guarantee who will not be unseated and who will not fail you is Jesus who presents himself as worth anything that you could give up for him and who himself will shelter you and care for you even through the other side of death. You and I are invited to read Revelation chapter 7 and say, I want to be in that crowd. I want to be in that multitude. And you are not allowed to say, I hope that I am good enough to be there one day. The voice is very clear. Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to Him. And this is something that He can, He will, He does do for you. He's not asking you to figure out your plan of security to make sure that you can trade your place of entry with Him. He is your King all the way on His terms. And this morning, if you have been living under the reign of some other foreign power, some foreign God, some other king, some other government, the plea to you today is to leave it aside because it will one day fail you. It could be today and it could be tomorrow. It could be 50 years from now. It will fail you, but this king will not fail you today or any day. Turn aside from these other pretenders to the throne and join the multitude. And if today you are worried, how might I be one of these white-robed ones when I have soiled myself sleeping with other gods, crawling into bed 
with what Revelations 8 and 9 will say are just empty things made of metal and wood and who speak not. I cannot make it. I'm not one of the ones who endure. If actual martyrdom was presented to me, I would fail the test. And the good news of the gospel is as true for you today as it always ever has been. The king came to rescue you. The king came to rescue you, not in partnership with you, but in spite of you, because he loves you. If you are afraid in front of the throne of God because of your own inability to find yourself in this multitude, look at Jesus. Look at the one who is revealed to you. Look at Jesus. The revelation is not about you. It is not about me. Salvation is not about you. It's not about me. The revelation is of the Lamb who was slain, who sees all and has all power. It is about Jesus. Salvation belongs to our God. And if today you have been weary And if you have been laden down with condemnation, if you have been afraid of God, you have been afraid of death, you have been afraid to let go of all of your cheap imitation kings and queens and gods, fear not. Jesus is before you. And he is far, far better towards you and for you than any other pretender to the throne. He is, in fact, better than you. He is a king that you can trust, who will not fail you until the very end. In him, the lamb, we find our shepherd. And he will lead his people to the place where you thirst not, where you weep no more, and you rest under the shade of his outstretched arms, as always the plan was, that you would find your shade under the arms of the crucified God, who will not be defeated by sin or death or any other power. The lamb who has been slain, he wins. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word, for putting yourself on display. We cannot come to you but anything but confession. Is is our hope, is our trust so secure and fixed on you? Or is it on the circumstances of my own life? The heroes that I see out there is the ideals that I have wrapped myself up. Or is it in you? I pray, God, that as much as the unsealing of this book unleashed powers that upturned the world and shook the people of Israel, 
and seemed to bring the stars down out of the sky. God, I pray that your word would do the same to our own lives. That you would ride in and put to death the contrary powers that are in our hearts. Lord God, I, I pray that you would be deeply comforted by your refusal to compromise or to share pride of place with another ruler. Help us to see you as the one that we wouldn't want to share with any other king. And Father, I pray for, for anyone who hears this word of revelation and, and sees, the, sees the flames and smells the smoke and is, is scared because they don't know what they would do or because they, they're worried what might happen in their day. And I pray, God, that you would very gently grab the eyes of their heart and fix them on you. That you would show yourself to be the lamb who is their shepherd, who will never let go of them who will heal them finally and forever, one way or another. Let all those who are afraid be comforted in and by the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray for all of those who too easily find their comfort anywhere other than you. I pray, God, that you would unveil the state of things for them. Lord God, we, I ask that you would help us to respond the way the gathered multitude gathered and responded in, in Revelation chapter 8. That we would stand before you in silence. And we would listen to you in trust, waited in bated breath for your voice to speak. Father, we pray that our hearts would be soft and in your hands. All our safety would be in you and all our great joy would be in you. Make our mouths to sing the multitude song, worthy are you, Lamb of God. Worthy are you. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.